You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics, in all honesty. I'm your host, Maurice Young. Okay, thank you so much for being a guest on Young Honest Mother, the podcast, Kate. Thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited to be here. Yay. So let's start with this. Who is Kate? Who is Kate? That's a good question. I feel like I'm still discovering that (laughs) every single day. Um, Right now, I would say that Kate is really just a woman who is going through life, learning, and trying to share that with everybody else. Um, I was just laughing the other day because I said, I really feel this drawing that like, no matter what I'm going through, I have to talk about it to everybody um, and just share Mm. like life lessons. And, you know, this was, this was really hard for me, but this is how I overcame it and trying to connect with people in that way. And I always thought everyone was like that. Um, But we had a family (laughs) gathering and they were like, just all saying that that's not how they necessarily see the world. I was like, wow. I didn't know that. So um, I think it's one of the things now that kind of sets me apart. And I don't know. I like connecting in that way. Have you always been like that? Or is that something that has developed more recently? Oh, goodness. I would say I've always been like that. Um, When I, I went through a lot of like orthorexic and just like food things when I was younger. And I like started sharing about that once I overcame it. Probably it was around the time of our wedding back in 2012 and just connecting with people in that way. So I really feel like once I learned that if I shared and was vulnerable, that I wasn't the only person going through it and I could help somebody else, that I just needed to do that. Um, I went to school to be a teacher because I wanted to help people. And I think I've just discovered that helping people doesn't necessarily have to be in like a traditional teacher or nurse or these roles that were defined for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally relate to you. Um, I think for me though, it's developed more recently, the desire to want to talk about what I'm going through and connect with the community as Mm -hmm. I'm learning and discovering how to push through it. Um, And it reminds me a lot of the work that you recently started with Motherhood Grace and then the postpartum grace guide that you published. So I I would love for you to tell us more about how those came to be and what your goals are for that community that you've created. Oh, perfect. Yes. This is like my new baby that (laughs) came to be um, (laughs) after having my like little human baby. Um, so I had Charlotte in 2017, gosh, I can't even remember what year it was anymore. And, um, around four or five months postpartum, I felt so lonely and I was so anxious and so depressed and just truly believed that I was the only person like going through this experience that I was somehow unique and every other mom had it all together or they loved motherhood. And it was just... Mm something that really um, took its toll on me mentally with the whole motherhood journey. And as I started to open up, I think I told like my pediatrician a little bit because I, I have one pediatrician. She's like my mom, like 
I did, we just saw her this week and she gave me a big hug and was like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, thank you. Um, oh. But I, as I started opening up to her and then just to like slowly some other moms around me, I realized that we were all feeling the same thing, but nobody was talking about it. And mm-hmm. I came up with an idea initially that hopefully will become a product under motherhood grace. But it's funny because it wasn't like what I felt called to share first. Um, I started working mm-hmm. on it and then I realized like I think people or moms, not people, just like moms in general really need the basics of understanding what is happening in those first six weeks postpartum. So, you know, what's happening Mm. to your body, what's happening with healing, how can you support yourself? And not necessarily from the vantage point of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Um, I think some people know my story and they think the book is specifically about that. And it's not, it's just about Mm. like, this transition and how to support yourself, um, some tools to do that, but also just like the basic knowledge of what happens to your hormones after you have the baby. Like I wanted to know those Mm -hmm. things. And I think if I would have known those things, I would have felt like this wasn't such an odd thing to be happening. Um, it it felt like I, I had a lot of mistrust because I just didn't understand what was going on. So I wanted to give a little more education and support and resources to moms that were encouraging and uplifting and educational versus the like memes and the satire and the like, you know, that of course I think I see those and I laugh and I can't help but laugh when I see them. But I think we just need to have a different dialogue around motherhood because it started to become something where I wasn't finding the joy or the miracles or the like encouragement in it. I just felt like I was a victim in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. and seeing those memes was like really perpetuating that mindset. Mm. Okay. Yes. I, first of all, like a hundred percent agree with everything that you just brought up. Um, And I'm grateful for you and your voice and your follow through in taking what was once an idea and actually creating it into a resource that can be used and loved by mothers around the world. And I I think what you brought up is such a good point. Like it's very easy if we're not careful to start feeling like personally victimized by motherhood <laughs> and all of the things that start, you know, coming up and popping up in a way that almost blindsides us, like you mentioned Mm -hmm. about the hormones and like how that affects everything, you know, and everything (laughs) having, yeah, like having this dialogue and including some of the like research-based knowledge and then creating a space where moms can then come in and talk about their own experiences within that realm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it just, it sets the conversation up to be more, positive and encouraging like you've mentioned yeah like it's it's really easy to sit there and say like oh I have anxiety and start to get on yourself about the anxiety um like you know if I wasn't such an anxious person like I would be able to figure this out or you know going through the day wouldn't feel so heavy but the truth is like we have to we have to validate those feelings of anxiety because i think a lot a lot a lot of new moms have those feelings 
Um, and mm-hmm. like, what is normal? What is not normal? Um, you know, is it being triggered by hormones? Is it being triggered by sleep? How can you support yourself up so that you can, you know, just handle the, I'm not saying to like ignore the anxiety or try to take it away. It's just like, how do you help support your life so that that anxiety feels more manageable? Um, I think my right. big thing that I have learned is that I I was somebody who bottled everything up and I would suppress it and push it away. And like this anxiety that I felt postpartum, if I journey back through my life, I'm like, this scenario was very, very similar when I just strip away a lot of the details. Um, but with mm. motherhood, there is another human that you're taking care of. And so I couldn't just push it to the side and like, go through and ignore it. It was like it kept coming up over and over again because I couldn't, you know, push my baby aside and just pretend it wasn't happening. And so I'm like, you know, there's, there's a lot to, I think, motherhood that brings out a lot of the things that we have gone through in our life that we've just been able to like cope with, um, or, or not have to confront, (laughs) like you said, and it Mm -hmm. just blindsides you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I've found that to be true in my own experience as well. And motherhood has revealed a lot of different elements to my personality and like just my preferred way of doing life that I wasn't as aware of before I had Milo. And same girl, sometimes same. that can be really, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it can be really striking. Like I think in the beginning for a while I'd gone I'd kind of gotten caught up in just feeling like, wow, my life will never be the same as it was mm-hmm. and almost kind of like romanticizing the past and um, wishing that I could return to a lifestyle that was much less complex, um, much less like fraught with emotion and things like that. And I've had to make peace with the fact that that's just never going to happen. And so what can I do in the here and now to support myself as I go along this journey hand in hand with my child. And I think you've done such a great job at sparking that conversation and then also creating something actionable for mamas to do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, it really is, I think, something that we have to take action on. Um, I'm mm-hmm. glad you said that there at the end, because that's exactly it. Like, and I think my personality tends towards when I feel stuck or uncomfortable or I have a problem the last thing I can do is sit there and just can like let it happen. Like I ha- I'm like a problem solver. I have to figure out how do I fix this? What can I do? And that's what I think the format of the postpartum grace guide, because it is part coloring book, it's part journal and it's part just like a daily message. Um, so it, it incorporates lots of different things that help with like stress management or overwhelm or a mom feeling like she doesn't have anything for herself. Now there's like five or 10 minutes where you can sit down and you can really focus on you, how you're feeling. Um, you know, if you, some people are like, I don't like color. I'm like, well, you don't have to color. It's still beautiful black and white, but if you do like to color, you can sit down and color and, um, if you haven't tried coloring, it act, there's so much great research out there about how it really can help calm down the mind. And, you know, the physical act of coloring helps and it's sparking back and forth in your brain when you're thinking about writing and journaling and what you just read. So it was very intentional, mm-hmm. but it was to get a new mom into action. Um, 
instead mm-hmm. of just sitting there and, and feeling like, okay, I changed the diaper. Now I feed the baby now, you know, like going down the to-do list of the groundhog day, as I called it at the beginning, right. just like the same thing over and over again. Yes. And, you know, I also find that even though the book was written with the first six weeks of motherhood in mind, I'm two and a half years removed from Milo's birth and I still find value in each of the prompts. Oh, that makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just think that it's the messages and the like words of encouragement that you shared and throughout the guide itself are universal um, throughout motherhood, regardless of whether or not you are a brand new mother or a seasoned one. You know, there is always an opportunity for us to sit down and kind of reflect on how things are going, no matter what mm-hmm. stage of life you may find yourself in. I love hearing that because it is a relatively new guide. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm really getting the unique opportunity now to hear how other moms are interacting with it. And I've gotten the feedback. One of my um, customers, she was six months removed and she said, it's kind of similar to what you just said. It's nice to go back and reflect on that. Um, Mm -hmm. I know someone who's thinking about a second, she's like, it's almost helping me think about how, how could I set this up to have a different experience or, you know, how do I help manage expectation levels that maybe I did not manage the first time? Um, I know that that was a big one for me. And when I was writing it, it was besides like the first couple days where it's really talking about, you know, what's happening to your body and the hormones and the sleep. A lot of the messages were things that I needed throughout the time that I was even writing it, like communication with your partner. Um, how do you manage mm. energy levels? So there, it, I did say the first six weeks just because I want to try to capture new moms before they get too far into, you know, feeling any of the things that I felt. But it's really Mm -hmm. lovely to hear that experienced moms are getting so much out of it. It's really just my heart is so happy to hear that. Yay, I'm glad. Well, I think that you did a great job. And I'm also happy to share with our listeners that you set up a special promo code for Mm -hmm. anyone who's interested in snagging the Grace Guide. Kate, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So the Grace Guide's available at motherhoodgrace.com. And there is a blog, which... Uh, Marissa was kind enough to come on and do an interview uh, for the blog, just trying to create some free resources there. But the guide is Mm -hmm. available. Um, I have a digital version because there were some people, international shipping just wasn't making sense at this point in time with the business. So there's a digital version or a hard copy version. And with the code HONEST, you can get 10% off. Yay. And I think, I mean, this is such a a great resource, whether you're snagging it for a friend, like for a baby shower, or you're going to use it yourself. Like there's just Mm -hmm. so many ways to find value in this. And so I kind of wanted to back up a little bit because you brought something up that piqued my interest when (laughs) you started talking about uh, just like managing expectations and how that kind of went awry during your motherhood experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that? Sure, because this is something I've been untangling here myself with my own journaling practice the past couple Mm. weeks. Um, And it is also, I think, again, a personality trait of mine. I, when I hear an expectation, I feel the sense that I have to meet it. Um, Mm. I don't know if it was a result of like how I grew up. I mean, my, you know, me, my brother and sister all went to the same school. 
they're not the same as me. And so I do tend to think it's like maybe a firstborn thing or just a cape thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, so when I hear like, you know, breast is best or like that breastfeeding is the best thing you can do for your baby. And I was seeing that all around the hospital. I was like, I have to breastfeed. I'm nursing. There's no other option. That is the best option. That's the expectation. So that's what I'm going to do. And mm. And so in my head, it was black or white, like you breastfeed or you're choosing the lesser option. And Mm. that turned out to be terrible for my mindset because my daughter wasn't latching. Um, She was small to begin with. I had a very aggressive letdown. And then um, what ended up happening is she was not transferring milk. So I was not even actually building up a supply and did not really realize it until almost three months in. So I, I had almost zero option at that point. I tried to switch to pumping and I was not producing even, I was producing less than half an ounce from both breasts within 20 minutes. So like I didn't even have to wean myself. My body just stopped. And that was devastating to me. I mean, it took me a solid month. I felt like every time I was making a bottle of formula for her that I was like poisoning her somehow. That's truly how it felt in my mind. And Mm. so managing, if I would have managed the expectation that like, you know, perhaps I want to try to nurse, but if it doesn't work out, my baby will still be fed and she will be getting nutrition and she will thrive. If I would have gone in with that mindset and expectation versus like, mm-hmm. I have to do this thing. And if it doesn't work, like I'm a failure. Um, and it, that's a one example. Like I can list like 15 of those that happened, um, kind of transitioning into the motherhood journey. But I realized that that's almost how I, I view a lot of things in my life. That Mm -hmm. if there is this level or, you know, goal or expectation and I don't reach it, it really weighs on me and it's very hard. And so um, I'm just going through kind of that perfectionism and realizing like who's setting these expectations? Are these expectations realistic? Do they even matter? Like, you know, like that's a lot of what I'm what I'm going through. Yeah. And what happens if I don't meet that expectation that either I set for myself or society set? I'm curious about how in reflecting through your journaling recently, like what are you coming up with with when it pertains to um, it's like what's left, like after the expectation has come and gone and perhaps you didn't meet it, like how, how are you working through the underlying feelings. Like not meeting those. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, I think it has changed based on whose expectation it was, what the expectation was, um, and those types of things, and then actually seeing what the outcome is. So I'm trying to think of like a good example here. Perhaps I can go back even before motherhood, like with body image in women, because I know that this is a big thing, Mm -hmm. especially for moms even going through postpartum. Um, So it was like, you know, the media sets this image of what women were supposed to look like. And so, again, in my head, that's the expectation. That's what I have to reach. And I would go through like every diet, I would work out, you know, more than they would say to work out. I would always do like the extreme version of whatever it was that that was being set. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when we were thinking about getting pregnant and I was told my hormones were too low to sustain a pregnancy and it was just like all, it was, 
I was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm reaching these expectations that people are saying are of health and what I'm supposed to look like, but yet here I am where my body can't reproduce. And that was like mm. one of those times where I was just like, my, I was like back and forth, like zapping, like, wait, what is happening? Because I'm, I'm doing what they say, but it's not actually, you know, healthy. Um, and so in that sense, it, it took, that one took me a while because it was like, okay, if I stop doing these things, am I going to look different? Am I not going to look like the standard? And I had to just like let go of all of that. Mm. Um, and for me, what letting go looks like is, is writing it out and like, like letting it go, like throwing it away, tearing it up, burning it, like, like seeing my thoughts that those things really don't matter. They're just swirling mm. up there. I can write them on paper and I can see them go away and nothing like nothing really happens. It's just gone. Um, so that's one way that I like to handle with it. But some expectations, like if it comes to work, let's say, um, I have really started to just sit there and say, is this truly a goal that is going to like, like, <laughs> This is going to sound kind of silly. I can't believe I'm going to say, but I do like the, the, um, what do they call it? Like the death wish or, oh, what do they call that? Like the deathbed thought. I'm like, is this something that I'm going to want to be like known for later? Like, is this going to matter when I'm laying there on my deathbed? And mm -hmm. that kind of gives me some perspective sometimes. Uh, so I'm like, does it really matter if I, you know, reach this title on my deathbed, like, no, I don't actually even know that I really want people to like be saying that about me. You know, I want them. So it's just, it was just like, okay, I guess that's an expectation I don't really need to care about, or I don't need to stress to the point that I'm stressing about it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And I really like the visual. I don't, I don't think I've actually done this myself, but I like the visual of you writing out your thoughts that are kind of swirling in your head and either ripping it up, burning it, you know, just getting rid of it to symbolize that mm -hmm. you're letting it go. I think that it's letting it go. And I think like, I, I don't know if anyone listening or if you have ever felt this about journaling. I think sometimes mm -hmm. people are afraid to write things down because they maybe don't want somebody else to find it or they don't want someone else to read it. Um, because I was one of three and growing up, I loved journaling, but I was always afraid that somebody was going to read it. So sometimes I would even filter what I was writing yes. in case somebody found it. Um, and so for me, if I'm burning it or throwing it away or getting rid of it somehow, nobody can read it anyway. I can't even read it again. So right. it's a really great way to just be like, it's, it's such a fleeting thing. It really is just in your head or just on that paper and it can just as easily be thrown away. Yes, I think that's such a great metaphor and also just like the way that it symbol symbolizes an actual thought and how you don't have to give it meaning, you know, yes, like you can totally. let it pass you by, you can let it, you know, discard itself and mm -hmm. not place any stock in it. And that can really save you from a lot of anxiety and worrying down the road. And I, I think I've had so many experiences now too, like with my daughter, we had a lot of issues with... Um, like size and growth and all these things. And I spent so many hours worrying about it. And especially at this last appointment, my doctor was like, do not count a single calorie again. Do not worry about boosting her food. Like she is fine. She mm. was fine. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like I just had this like rush of, well, overwhelm and excitement, but then also like how much of my life did I dedicate 
to like stressing about that situation. And, mm-hmm. you know, now it's, now it's gone. It's and, and almost the same thing with pregnancy. I was so sick during pregnancy. And then at the moment I gave birth to her, like it was gone. The nausea was gone. Um, wow. And just like how things can change in such point in time, like nothing is permanent and we don't, we don't have to let it be permanent either. It it gave me a sense of I'm not in control, but I'm control of knowing that it doesn't have to be like this forever. Mm, That is really powerful and makes me think, okay, so control is something that pops up a lot for me in Mm -hmm. my motherhood. I think that's something I it's like one of those elements that have been revealed over these past two and a half years that I never realized played such a large role in my life. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. So I'm curious about how your relationship with control has evolved and or shifted throughout your motherhood journey. Oh, that's a that's a really great one. Um I think my daughter taught me this. I don't know if you feel like that, if if Milo taught you it, if motherhood taught you it. I think if I had yeah. had a different child, I don't know that I would have learned this lesson quite as much. Mm. But my daughter really is like very independent, wants to do things for herself. Um, like, like truly, you cannot feed this kid unless she wants it. Like I could be showing ice cream in her face to just try to get her to eat calories. And if she doesn't want it, she does not want it. Like she's not eating it. And so I had to learn to trust her. I had to learn that she knew what was best for her, even though I thought like I'm the parent and I'm the adult and I'm the person that should know what she needs. But sometimes they are the best keepers of their body and their space. And, and, you know, if they need to cry, they need to cry. And I can't, I can't really dictate that. And so mm-hmm. I have learned to take the guide role. And, and I also say a lot that truly the best lessons I have learned are when I've made mistakes or when I have gone through something hard and can reflect back on it. And so I take that to heart when I, when I parent. Like I try not to really control any situation. The only thing I ever truly focus on is safety. Right. So like as long as she's safe, I kind of let her do what she thinks she needs to do and just intervene when I see like, oh, she's taking it too far or um, different things like that. But in these early stages, that's, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to have to start putting some more firm boundaries as she's getting older and, you know, needs to learn some of these things. But it's actually amazing how well they almost parent themselves when you do take a step back. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, they are very well aware in some cases as to (laughs) how to preserve their well-being. I mean, there there are other things like right now, um, we recently had to get covers for our door. I'm not really sure what they're called, but we had to place them over the door knobs because Milo would open the door and run out. And obviously not thinking of his safety in that regard, but there are moments where he's like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that, mama. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I can see why (laughs) you wouldn't want to do that. You know, I could see why you wouldn't want to play with these scissors right now as you're running around the house. So right, right. giving them the space to make their own judgments can go really far um, with building trust and also allowing our children to see that they can be responsible for their own actions, but it's not always as easy. 
so what you just said there at the end, like they are responsible for their actions. Like here's a good example when you were talking, I'm like, this is one that like, it was so hard for me to give up control on this. And I, I don't know still if I handled this correctly, but like drawing on like her items, like, I don't know what it was, but she always, when she had like a crayon or a marker or anything, she wanted to like draw on her kitchen set or draw on her toys or it, it like, I was like, and clearly I'm like, okay, is she safe? Yes. This is just an annoyance. And, you know, it's disrespecting the things that she has, but how can I teach her this lesson in a sense where I don't want her to be, I think the big thing for me when I think about like control and this kind of stuff, like I don't want her to be afraid of me. Like Mm -hmm. I don't want her to think I'm the only person in control because then I think as soon as I turn my back, she's going to be trying to do the thing that I'm not there. You know, if I'm not hovering, then she's not really going to listen. I want it to be like an innate voice that's coming in and saying, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. Um, right. And so every time she would do that, I would like take her hand and I'd say, I can't let you draw on your things. You can help me clean this up now. And we would go get towels and we would clean it up over and over again. I'm like, when is this going to click? And the other day I saw her go to draw she had her marker like up by her refrigerator and then she shook her head and said, no, 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 no draw on my things and like walked away. And I was like, wow. oh, yeah, it finally clicked. But it was just like, it took like, I mean, months, people, you don't know how many times we like had to do this. But finally, I saw that little brain get the message of, oh, I'm not supposed to draw on this. Or a lot, like my words were like, we don't draw on our things, we can draw on paper. And she turned around mm-hmm. and like draw on paper. Um, and so it just reminded me to like stay the course to know that eventually the light will come shining through <laughs> and then right. they'll get the lesson, even though like they're not going to get it in your time. I think that's the control thing. It's not because you said it once, because you said it twice. It might take 35 times, but eventually they'll get it. Hmm. Yes, I can definitely relate to that. And I think for me, that's also brought up how impatient I tend to be. You know, yes. I feel like I've already told you so many times we've already done this. Like I've already explained to you why we shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. And here we are again today and you're doing it. And uh-huh. I think, you know, like just having to kind of walk myself off that ledge and to remember that this is his training, you know, like everything that we do every day is part of his training and becoming like a responsible and respectful and caring young man. And this is the point of his training is to test the boundaries, to figure out what actually feels right um, in the moment for him. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't be trying to rush through this process because this process is so essential to who he's going to become. But I think it's also, it's easy to kind of lose sight of that end goal because in the moment it just feels like, "Uh, we've already been just like, Yeah. Like I've said this so many times, like, how do you not get it? And it's, and I think, you know, it's easy to lose your temper or to get frustrated. And I, I give myself grace there too, you know, because Mm -hmm. It, it like where I'm not a perfect parent. And I think one of the things that helped me 
through parenting is thinking like if she had a perfect childhood, she's not going to be set up for what's going to come in the real world. And so if I lose my temper with her or, you know, like I get frustrated, like there are people who are going to get mad at her and frustrated with her in her life. And she needs to like be able to handle that just as much as she needs to be able to do some of the other skills. Mm -hmm. So I give myself a little bit of grace with all of that too, but man, it is hard to like sit there and just like sometimes I'm like, just close my eyes. Like eventually she'll be like 10 and this won't be an issue, you know? Yes. Um, and it's, it is again, that perspective of knowing that it's not going to be like this forever. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And always something great to remember. And okay. So now I kind of want to shift the conversation because I'm curious to know more about how you've been able to incorporate motherhood into like who you are as a person who you are as a wife and who you are as a homemaker? Like, how are you able to tend to all of those domains? Oh, so that's a, that's a great question. I would say I probably have done a better job now. So like that initial year, it just was like mom, right? Like I just felt like I was only able to figure out like who was Kate as mom and all those other things just felt like they were so far away and eventually I would be able to think about them again. Um, but now I, now I really try to take the perspective of almost thinking it from her point of view and, or how do I want her to feel if she were like on the motherhood journey? Would Mm. I want her to lose her identity? Would I want her to, you know, not have a great relationship with her husband because she's not focusing on herself or the things that make her feel good? And so um, I, I really think about modeling the example of what I would like her to do when she becomes a mother. And so that involved having some hard and difficult conversations with my husband, um, just saying, just not in the sense from him at all. Like he was super receptive. He's like, yeah, sure. I could do that. Like no problem. And I'm like, oh Mm. my gosh, it took me like a year and a half to work up the courage to say anything, (laughs) Mm. you know, like, um, it was just, it was the expectation again that I was Mm. placing on myself of what I thought a good mom was like, I thought a mom. And I think, you know, my mom is like 50, her 50s, 60s. And I think that that generation did have this mindset of like, moms don't do anything for themselves. Like, you know, they rush around and they're the homemakers and they, everything is always in order. And they have that like keeping up with the Joneses almost type attitude. Mm -hmm. And so I could hear that happening in my head, but I was like, this isn't what I want. Like, this is not how I want my motherhood journey to look like. I don't want to lose who I am and my hobbies and the things that make me happy. But I mean, truly it's, I'm two and a half years in and I feel like I'm just now being able to define again, Kate's beyond mother, you know, Kate as a wife, Kate as a business owner and, um, it's really just having the honest conversation with my husband, the honest conversation with my mom. Like I said to her, do you want to spend time and take care of her so that I can have a couple hours in the week to either go to yoga or to do work, whatever it is that I want to do. Are you just willing to like be there and and do that? Or do I need to hire somebody? Um, Cause Mm -hmm. I was like, this is the decision I'm making. And uh, that has really freed up 
a lot of anxiety. I think feeling like I had to do it all and I had to take on the role of being like everything for everyone was just too overwhelming for me. Mm. Yes. I, I'm really drawn to what you said about the previous generation, like our moms and people who are our mother's age kind of grew up with the mentality of you step into motherhood and you lose yourself. And that should be like, that's just what is to be expected. You know, you're supposed to be taking care of everybody else um, and keeping up appearances so that no one suspects that you're struggling. Um, Totally. And uh, just today on Instagram, I saw someone talking about how that mentality has shifted so much um, in just one generation. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether or not, like, I don't know. I'm just really curious, I guess, in general about why that shift took place um, and whether we're just, like, are we just being too sensitive (laughs) as people and, like, (laughs) wanting to have, like, all of these resources and all of these like support groups and things like that, that weren't really a part of our mothers or our ancestors, um, like repertoire, like how, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about how we have shifted into a mindset that's more understanding. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to share cause I've been thinking about this a lot and I actually went to my therapist this week and we had a conversation about, um, this whole idea too, because I told her like my, my inner critic was leaning towards like the mindset of my mom and those people. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like, that is not, that wasn't a definition. That's just like a thought and like, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so a couple things I would say when I think back, cause I do take a very like ancestral approach to health and wellness and my food and um, like a village and, mm-hmm. and thinking about like, you know, how, how do we close to how our ancestors live? And in my mind, when I think about like our ancestors and village villages, I imagine like, a, you know, let's even take the a picture of like a neighborhood, like a neighborhood of homes where people just we're outside helping each other or, you know, oh, your baby's not sleeping here. Let me try to bounce the baby for a while while you go lay down. And it was much more of like a hands-on approach, like everybody's helping each other. Mm. Whereas I feel like now we're all just such in our homes and like you're trying to keep the chaos and the catastrophe inside and you go out to your mailbox and you wave with like your bouncing baby. Like how many times did I like go out on my deck? Like literally I was just sobbing my life out inside because my baby's not sleeping I walk outside, there's somebody, oh, hi, how's it going, you know, um, instead of really like just having a full blown meltdown, like I want to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so I think that that has definitely changed. I think, um, thinking about like my mom's, my mom's generation versus maybe even her mother is, um, well, I think I might even be unique. Both of my grandmothers did work, uh, Mm. but they like did everything. And then, so I think my mom grew up with like, you know, her mom was a nurse and she worked and took care of like all the kids and didn't complain and didn't say anything. And so that is exactly the narrative that I have to continue. Um, But I think it's just getting harder and harder because we're expected like as a society to like have more and more and more and like, you know, bigger, more expensive cars, bigger houses, like this is the dream Mm. when really it's 
putting more strain on like both parents to basically have to be out of the house and making full-time incomes. And it's like, but we're also trying to keep up with these kids. And and I just think we're reaching a breaking point where it's like, I can't do all of this and take care of myself. Like, it's just, it's Mm -hmm. just not a reality here. Um, And I also think that the generation before like postpartum depression wasn't even like something that people said. Right. Um, like, and I, and I asked the therapist, I said, when did, cause I, I feel like it is starting to be something that like maybe celebrities are starting to say. And then once they use their platform to talk about it, I do feel like it ripples out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I asked her like, when did all of this start to become a conversation? And she's like, she said, you, you know, even now postpartum anxiety is under postpartum depression. Um, and she was saying, you know, they're so linked. I was like, yeah, but I think the problem is in the medical profession or like for me as a mom, I had anxiety 10 to one to my depressed moments. Mm. And so I didn't know that that's what I needed help with because there wasn't talk about like anxiety being under the umbrella of postpartum depression. I see. Um, And so I think maybe there's just some more clarification coming out about that. Like, I I think we're going back to support groups and things of that nature because, you know, olden days, like that, that's kind of what they did without calling it that. Mm. Can I say it that way? Like they were all there to be supportive of one another within their communities and their groups. And, and I see that sometimes, you know, like churches, for example, or some Mm. mops groups, like they are there when a mom has a new baby, they're doing like meal trains for them and they're coming and letting the mom go sleep. And I'm like, that reminds me of how life was. It wasn't this thing we had to like call and define a support group or a mom group. It just was. It just was. Um, So I don't know. I suppose that's, that's my thought about it is, is we're just starting to maybe, circle back in a way to how we used to be. I think even in the food talk, you know, Mm -hmm. people are starting to realize like we have to go back to real foods. We can't be eating processed sugars and, and packaged goods and think that our health is not going to pay the price for it. So Mm -hmm. in a way it's like a lot of these things are just coming back to the forefront of our minds. Mm. Yeah. You bring up a lot of good points because, you know, there was an element of support that was just kind of built into our communities as a given mm-hmm. and you didn't really right. go anywhere to seek it out because it was already there. Um, right. so how do you encourage new mamas and, and even like more seasoned mamas in this day and age to cultivate communities around themselves? So I think one of the ways that I try to do it for myself is I, I try to be the support that I wish I had Mm. Um, so now when I see, you know, moms having new babies, like I am reminded, like, like think back Kate. and I, I did have some of my girlfriends who had babies that were maybe like two, three months older than Charlotte. Okay. Like they were the ones that were texting me and saying like, Hey, it's really hard. Like, do you need anything? Can I drop off soup on your porch? Like, and I, and I think that a little bit of that karma, like what goes around comes around or just really keeping that in mind. Um, and also just like being honest about what you need. Like, I think that's one thing that we all don't do enough is we don't 
maybe we don't even think about what we need. We're in such survival mode that it's like to think about what I need is just, oh my gosh, that's another thing on my to-do list. But I think if it's just like, hey, I need you to pick up dinner tonight, or can you run to the grocery store and get this? Like, how much is that going to save you in like time and stress and anxiety and getting the baby together? Um, So I, I would encourage that. And there are lots of ways to look up like support groups online. Um, I think one thing that I would say that's probably going to sound funny, because obviously I want people in your community and my online community, but to really try to find something that is in person. Yeah. Um, There's really nothing that can replace that like face-to-face energy exchange. And there will be free groups around you. It's not something that you like have to go spend a ton of money on. I know the hospital that I gave birth, they have a free peer-to-peer mental health support group twice a month. Um, and so if you just like start to do a little bit of research, like you don't have to, I don't know, I guess I thought like I had to look a certain way to like need help. Okay. Let me explain that a little bit. Like I thought I had to be like sobbing all day long or not able to feed myself or, you know, like I had to be so bad to have to go to these groups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the truth is like, cause I just went and spoke at one, like, they were all just moms that were there. They're like, you know, I want to meet other new moms or I just want to go talk about the hard week that I had or, you know, like it's just, we get stuck in our heads and we make up what we think is going to be happening there. And then when you go, you just realize like everybody is just a person Mm. and we're all just trying to figure this out. Mm. That's really powerful. And I would second that recommendation in, you know, finding online communities that can, present, you know, a level of support and solidarity, but that Mm -hmm. face-to-face interaction, it's really hard to replicate online. And I think something that I've been really missing, but have been more intentional about cultivating more recently is just having a friend, you know, a mom friend, someone who I can hang out with weekly. um, And I can see and like the kids can play together while we talk a little bit, you know, and just like having somebody that I can kind of count on to be there. Um, yeah. And not to say that I didn't have friends. It's just, I didn't have other friends who were stay at home moms right away. They were doing the same thing you were doing. Yes. And so I kind of right. forgot that after I left my full-time job, like all my friends would still be at work <laughs> once I like started staying at yeah. home full time. Um, and it no, be- I've, I've had that experience as well. Like I, you know, and you miss it. Yeah. Like I miss my girlfriends that I got to go have lunch with every day. Like right. it was 20, 30 minutes, but it, it was, I didn't realize how much that makes a difference in just how you feel. Yes. Yeah. Because it's very, it's very easy to become like isolated as a stay-at-home mom. So I think venturing outside your house and and trying to strike up conversation with other moms or finding support groups where it's like a more structured meeting place where you can come together and have these discussions on a weekly or like bi-monthly, whatever the time frame is, basis, so that you have something to look forward to and you know that you're going to be received by people who understand a lot of what you're going through. That's, That's so huge. I think it's, it is a really big deal to just have, like, have moms that are in that similar phase of life or doing the same things you are, whether they're working or they're staying at home, because it is really difficult to, like, connect with somebody who's not, who's not even 
Can you hear Charlotte? Yes, but that's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know why, why they came up. She's like banging on the door. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I hear her now. <laughs> I was going to say, my mom's like, we're on a boat. We're going down the stairs. We're going down the waterfall. <laughs> that's cute. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll let that, let me know when you can't hear it anymore because I think it's still going on. Okay, I can't hear it anymore. Okay. (laughs) Well, and of course the dog was like at the door too. So, okay, now I forget what I was saying. Um, Yeah, let's think back. Um, We were talking about having in-person conversations. Meeting in groups. Yeah, and meeting groups with people who understand what you're going through. Oh, yeah, okay, so. I'll say I think the biggest thing that can help is really talking to another person who is in that similar phase of life. And I mean, even down to like the age group of your child, Mm. because I know that I had some moms who maybe had like two year olds and, and there's so much change within that first year. Oh my gosh. You know, I think if you could even just talk to people who are like, like six months apart, like even the six months is different, but they kind of still have it fresh enough in their minds that they go back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for me that some moms who, and I, tr- I try really hard not to do this on a hard day. It's so hard not to like let something slip, but they can scare you, right? Yeah. Oh, well, this is coming. And like, they, they make those snide comments. You're like, man, I'm struggling right now. Like what's going to happen in, in a year from now of what you're telling me. So right. I think if you can really, connect with mom and like I'm not saying that it has to be like you can only walk into a group where it's like stay-at-home mom of one-year-olds like right right (laughs) that's definitely that's definitely not what I'm saying but if you can have like you said one good friend and maybe just like each of those other areas that you can just talk about what you're feeling as a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. or what you're feeling of having a two-year-old toddler Mm -hmm. that that can really just I think validate a lot of the things that you're feeling. Right. And it's not even necessarily that you're going to this friend for answers, but just knowing that like they've been there too, or they've experienced similar things like that personally has helped to alleviate a lot of stress and self-judgment. Yes, totally. I think it's just, it's just really nice. And I, I didn't realize the power of having that the first year Mm because I did not have that the first year. Um, and I took her to like, you know, gymboree classes, but everybody was just sitting there smiling. Hey, how was your week? You know, nobody was having deeper conversations or, or really seeking out mom friends. And I wish I would have maybe said, Hey, do you just want to grab lunch after and gotten to know some of those ladies a little more? Because chances are when you're going to like classes, let's say you are a stay-at-home mom and you're going to a class at a 10 a.m. on a Tuesday that mm-hmm. that other mom at least stays home part of, the, part of the time. Right. Yeah. That's a safe assumption. And I think yeah. it also might have to be that you, the listener, has to take the initiative to spark that conversation, to actually go up to someone yes. who you'd like to get to know better and ask them out. You know, it almost feels like you're dating or something like that, but it. <laughs> I mean, you can't sit around and be upset about how it's not happening if you're not right. trying to make it happen. You know, if that's something you're really wanting in your life, like friendship and having playdates and things like that, if you're always in a corner to yourself, then 
can't really be too surprised. You have to keep yourself open. Yeah. Being open to making these connections is a like fundamental part of making a friend and um, creating lasting relationships with people who you can talk about with, you know, surrounding things that matter. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that I think we also make that too scary in our heads. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're genuinely just approaching someone with a good heart and the right mindset, like they're going to feel that. So, um, and you know, if they don't receive it well, then that's not the person that you really want to be a friend with anyway. So I, I have always, um, taken just like, well, I, I do have to laugh because I was most friendly in high school. Like, you know, those superlatives. Oh, so maybe it's just like, I was. So maybe it's just my personality type to like, just go up to somebody and be like, hi, how are you? Like try to make people feel welcome or something. But it's just not as scary as you make it out to be in your head once you actually do it. Yes, I, I can agree with that. Okay. So as we start to come full circle, where can people stay in touch with you and your journey? So the best place to connect with me is over on Instagram because that is definitely where I'm the most active online. So I'm just at Holistic Kate over on Instagram. I also have a Facebook, but um, most of the time I'm hanging out on Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. And then my motherhood um, resources are available at motherhoodgrace.com. And I talk about that over on my Instagram and everything I just Definitely wanted to keep them separate because I don't want to be, I just, I'm just going to say this here too. Like I, I don't want to be viewed as a motherhood expert. I really Mm. just want to share what I am doing, what I am trying, what's working, what's not working. Because, um, to me, I just feel like there is no perfect mother. There is no perfect journey. And so we all just have to learn from each other. And that's why I just really wanted to keep those two things separate. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up in closing we've actually had this conversation like outside of the podcast realm, but I I feel similarly, you know, I wanted to create this space Mm -hmm. so that people could come on and share what they've learned and what their experience has been like, not because I view myself as some kind of expert or know-it-all or like some fantastic like motherhood guide to the world, but because I really do believe that there's value in sharing about what you're going through and there's value in hearing someone else share about what they've been through because many times a lot of the struggles and experiences that we go through are universal. You know, there are at least elements that you can, Mm -hmm. you can relate to. Um, And I think that you and I are both coming from a place of just wanting to serve and cultivate community that is supportive. um, And that can learn from one another, not because anyone's like stepping up to say like, Hey, I have all the answers, follow me. But because we could all use a a little bit more support in our lives. Yeah, I'm shaking my head to all of that. I really think that, you know, there are some people who like to do the research, who like to bring these resources out. Like what I was saying at the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that I've gone through in my life, I feel like I just have to share it so that hopefully somebody else can learn from it. Mm. And I have, you know, really recognized, like, I mean, this week, it's not like I had this revelation a year ago, (laughs) like this week realizing that not... Everybody is interested in doing that. Right. Um, 
And so I, that's kind of my mission now is to just help be that voice for those people who maybe don't know where to turn. And so they continue to be stuck. And I would love to just expose them to more stories and resources. And here are books that I've loved. And, you know, here's just Charlotte being goofy today. Like that's just, that's just really the community that I do want to cultivate and to let people know that they are not alone. And I will sit there and be their cheerleader for them, even if they're across the United States and California. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you so much. And finding the courage to speak up and share what you've gone through and also in taking the initiative to put together these resources that are going to serve women so well from now into the future. So thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's so, like I said before, it's so wonderful to hear um, that validation and the same to you. I mean, everything that you have created is not only beautiful because I love and I'm drawn to beautiful things, but I just love your perspective. um, And I think you're just really sharing super valuable content and bringing together some really great resources for moms. And I'm so thrilled to be able to point them your direction too. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother, and then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maurice Young. Young.